My name is Todd Wagner. I'm one of the guys that gets to serve with the other men here at Watermark, and we're thrilled that you've come. If you're a Watermark guy and you've come with a friend of mine, uh, if you're just visiting with us this morning, we, we hope as a result of uh, our friendship or just because we run together on a regular basis that, uh, that this can turn to something that we'll do for the next 10 weeks together. Uh, the, 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 the idea of uh, the men's summit, we kind of, we want to learn and we want to lead. We want to climb that hill of ignorance and we want to climb that hill of passivity and we want to get up to the heights that God intends for us to be as men and we know that we can only do that if we really lock into uh, running together. And so that's the idea of the summit. That's where that came from. We're trying to take that ground and move that direction and we believe that we can do it better together than we can alone. So if this is uh, the only morning we get with you, we hope that you're really genuinely encouraged. But we also hope, guys, that this becomes what we do for the next 10 weeks. I'll say it now so we don't get rushed at the end. Uh, if you've not yet signed up for that and you're interested, just go when you're done out to that coffee bar and there'll be some guys there that'll help you get connected, get plugged in, get running with other men. Hopefully I'll make a case this morning why that makes sense that you might want to do that. If you're going to be traveling some, everybody does, you know, don't say no to 10 weeks because you're going to miss two. Grab the eight you can and be with a group of other guys and dive in with us. So that's what this thing called the summit is. We kind of do this just to kind of kick us off and remind us what it is that we're about. It's not too late to invite other friends to join you. In fact, I encourage you to do just that. It's a great way for a guy to dip his toe into what it means to run together. We're going to hopefully model that these next 10 weeks, what it means to lock arms with other men who are about stuff that matters in a way that will sharpen and encourage all of us. That starts next week. We'll always meet in here at 630. Uh, we'll have about 15 to 20 minutes max in here. We'll get some food in your gut and then we'll break off into small groups and uh, go, depending on your group, 745, 8 o'clock and then head off into our, uh, our Thursday morning. So that's kind of the plan looking ahead, but we are glad you're here this morning. Um, I wanted to start with a little uh, video. Maybe some of you guys have seen this before. It's one of my favorite clips from uh, a little series called Band of Brothers. You guys have uh, heard about it, or many of you have seen it. And what you're going to see in this clip, let me explain it to you because it's a little chaotic. It's a group of men that are in a moment of great crisis. There is peril that is around them, and there's also a great objective before them. And when you've got leadership that is overwhelmed or leadership that is ill-prepared, it creates chaos and death. But then when major winners is inserted into the situation, watch the way that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of an overwhelming enemy, there is uh, strength that shows up. And you'll see at the very end of this clip, one guy just kind of looked to another like, yes, the right man has shown up for the job and how it brings peace to an otherwise overwhelming situation. So what you're going to see at the beginning is the chaos. You're going to see an inadequate leader. You're going to see the right leader step up and you're going to see the peace and victory that comes. All right. Watch this. Easy red, easy red, stand by for the six. Bowie! Bowie, you get back there where I can see you! First platoon, hold up, hold up! Take cover! Martin! Come on, soldier, with me! With you, sir! Second platoon! Assistant! Clever! 
why are we stopped? Roger, kidnapped Paris. Stand by the six. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You better get Dyke on that radio to me now. We can't the plan. Captain, where is the plan? Okay, Bully. Bully! You take your men. You take your men on a banking mission around the village and attack us from the rear. We cannot stay here. Do you understand? We will provide suppressing fire! We We're gonna be kind of alone out there, Lieutenant! We will provide suppressing fire! Sir, we are sitting ducks here! We have to keep moving! Spears, get yourself over here! Get out there and relieve Dyke and take that attack on in! I'm taking over. Precision, listen! Sir, most of the company is spread out here. First platoon tried to end around, but they're stretched out. They're pinned down by a sniper. I believe he's in the building with the cage in the roof. All right, I want mortars and grenade launchers on that building till it's gone. When it's gone, I want first to go straight in. Forget going around. Everybody else follow me? Yes, sir. I believe what they were seeing. But that wasn't the really astounding thing. The astounding thing was that after he hooked up with Eye Company, he came back. That is an overwhelming clip, only because it's hard to follow if you don't know the story. But suffice it to say, you can see all the chaos that was going on, and the death and the uh, fear that was overtaking folks. And then God's man showed up, if you will, a leader. And, and not just in a military context. But a guy showed up who knew what he was doing, lived courageously, and you can see that, that men were blessed by it, an enemy it was started to be defeated, Community was developed and contact was made with folks that needed to be together. And you could see the strength and security of those that were underneath that leadership come together. You see, what I, what I hope to remind you of again this morning is not, I'm not going to use a military metaphor this morning. I've done that before. What, what, what I want to use this morning is just a reminder to you of what God intends you to be and what he hopes to produce in you and through you. 
so that those that are under your leadership are, are blessed and encouraged. Uh, I, I, I have mentioned in other settings with guys how Nietzsche, Voltaire, Freud, um, and many others like them have got something in common. And what they all have in common is an absent, abusive, or passive daddy. A leader that, that they hated or resented, and as a result of that father wound, as a result of that dad that did not lead them through the chaos of adolescence, that chaos of just um, living in this broken world, they, they formed their own ideas and their own worldviews that have become incredibly destructive to, to thousands and millions of other people. And, and I will tell you that uh, you guys that know me well know that I often say leadership is everything. And if guys don't lead well in their home, if they don't lead well in their dating relationships, if they don't lead well at work, if the leaders of society don't lead well, then everybody in society suffers. Some of you guys know that this week um, the president of Burundi was here. We, we've been doing some different things because somebody has asked us to share some areas that we have communicated on here that they've felt like we had core competencies that we could partner with them where they've got favor to bring together uh, political leaders and business leaders and spiritual leaders in certain regions of the world and come in and teach them and train them where there's been immense chaos. One of those places is Burundi. In 2006, when we went to Burundi, we, uh, we met with the president. He had just been newly elected in his country. And we met with him over there briefly and had a conversation. Uh, um, we, we, we told him then that, that we were willing to serve him. We were in one province up in uh, Burundi called Katega. We went and trained the very first group of leaders in that area. Uh, that the governor and business leaders and spiritual leaders brought together. And, and we've been back now, I think, to 10 or 11 of those regions. Almost all of them. We've almost completed our, our commitment to him. We bought the first ever water well, uh, water drilling rig to, to put in that country where we can begin to bring fresh water to people that have been uh, dying in disease as a result of that. We've started a vocational training center there like we have in Uganda. We're beginning the steps toward that anyway and are working with different uh, communities where we've developed leaders to care for the orphans and the oppressed. And so he was grateful for that. We went over there to serve people that were serving him to make the name of Christ more famous in his country. And, and when he was just recently here for the UN meeting, uh, where over 160 different heads of state came to the country, he made his way to Dallas and we spent some time with him here, where we hosted him in our land. And just to remind him again of what his responsibility is as a leader. When we were there, we gave him a, a statue, a carving. Um, of, of the greatest leader that ever lived. And we talked about what makes a leader great. Not that he uses a position of power for his own comfort, but he uses it to serve others. And we, we reminded him that he's not so much president as he is the, the primary servant leader of his people. Now, the average life expectancy of a leader in Burundi up to him being elected was three months because of just the constant violence and, and um, tribal hatred and... Um, ethnic cleansing that would go from person to person, tribe to tribe that had happened in that land. But, but God spared him. He made the first three months, and somebody said, well, we'll give you three more months. And then after that, three more months. And so after about five cycles of that, they go, you might be here for a while. And so he's grateful that he has been. But we just reminded him of what it was that God left him around for. And it wasn't so that he could be some historic figure to his people. It was so he could be a very present servant to his people. And when he was here, one of the things I did is I, I took him to this particular psalm and reminded him of the duty of the king. And I want to just take some time to remind you of the duty of a king, because every single one of us is, is the president of a little nation. If you're a dad, 
Let me just tell you, you are leading in the same way that president is, maybe not a country, but you are leading some folks that will prosper or suffer under your leadership. Your queen will either have glory or resent the fact that she's got Henry VIII, all right, living there next to her. And she'll do everything she can to get out from underneath your power. Your children certainly are your constituents. And by the way, how your kingdom is run will give you uh, opportunity with other kings in your neighborhood and city and world. And so this morning, I want to remind you of what I reminded him. And I want to start by just making some observations from Proverbs 28 twice and then Proverbs 29 once that talk about what happens when the righteous rule, what happens when winters shows up in the midst of chaos and death. So Proverbs uh, 28 in verse, uh, let's see, 12, it says, when the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. I, I've seen this in my own family. When, when, when righteousness reigns in me, okay, by the way, guys, here's my deal. I've come to understand that the way of Todd is not the best way. The way of control and anger and manipulation, um, you know, moodiness is not the best way to lead people. But when that wickedness rises up in me, my kids do what I remember doing when, I, when my dad kind of had one of these moments. I get as far away from him in the car as I can. I wait till it's appropriate to sneak out of the room and for him just to power down and get a little sanity in his life again. And people scatter. They hide themselves when the wicked rise. You know? And, and so uh, I, I talk with the guys that are in my life a lot about what I call three-second flashes, which maybe are down from 30-second moments and three-minute you know, episodes and three day or three weeks, three months or three year reigns of terror. Maybe that some of you guys are in the middle of, but I don't care when it shows up in my life, when I'm not living and reigning righteously, when I've come to understand that my spirit can't be trusted in the way that I lead, that I've got to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not in my own understanding, that I've got to let the Holy Spirit inform my life and the way that I manage and lead so I don't exasperate my kids. When I don't do that, they hide themselves. Proverbs 28, 28 says this, when the wicked men rise, again, men hide themselves, repeats it just 26 verses later, but when they perish, the righteous increase because they start to flourish a little bit. They come out of the woodwork and they don't have to hide from this abusive dad. Proverbs 29 uh, has the idea there, a man uh, who, I, I take that back, I think it's 29.2 is what I wanted to put up there, not 29.1, but it's the exact same idea. And that is just simply that when wicked men are in control, it makes everybody around them wish they were somewhere else. And so what I want to share with you guys this morning is what's it look like to be the kind of guy that other people are grateful for our leadership? How do you become that kind of king? Now what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to study the book of Joel with us, the book of Jonah, the book of Nahum, the book of Malachi, what we like to call the sticky pages of your Bible because most of us have never cracked them open. But if you'll hang with us these next 10 weeks, we'll walk you through these four minor prophets. We'll teach you what the day of the Lord is. In other words, there is a king. He is righteous. And right now, his sovereign rule is not directly reigning over every aspect of the earth. He is letting there be little wicked fiefdoms and families and cities and countries and, and, and uh, you know little pockets all around the world. But there's going to be a day of the Lord when he shows himself to be exactly who he says he is. We're going to tell about when it comes, what it'll look like when it comes, and what we should do about it till it comes. That's the book of Joel. In the book of Jonah, you're going to find out what a godly man should be. In the book of Nahum, you're going to find out what happens if you're not a godly man and you're not ready for the day of the Lord. In the book of Malachi, 
you're going to find out what it is that God ultimately wants from us and what we typically miss. And so this is a great four weeks for you to see how relevant some books that you typically don't read are for you that will help you reign as a godly king. So I love Psalm 101. Let me tell you how I use Psalm 101. I use it in my own life for personal direction. It was a psalm that before any of my kids could go spend the night with a friend, they had to memorize. And so when they were little and they wanted to leave my leadership and go and be their own king with their own freedom, they had to memorize these eight verses and talk with me about what it meant. And we still review it all the time. And so what you're going to find in this psalm is there's a little phrase, okay? It's the psalm of the king. There's a little phrase that shows up about eight to nine to 11 times, depending on how you look for it, where he makes positive affirmation and where he makes negative declarations. The phrase is, I will, I shall not, but specifically, I will. And this is the way a righteous man rolls. And so if you want to be the kind of leader that makes the people rejoice and the righteous flourish, get to know Psalm 101. Because it's a great reminder. What I love about this psalm is most of us, when we think about leadership, we think about what we're going to do over other people. And I will tell you that this psalm talks about having a right understanding personally, a right ability to lead yourself personally, wise selection in those who you surround yourself with personally, and then after those three things are in order, then you can lead others well as God's person. Let me say that again. The psalm is broken up this way. You've got to have a right understanding of the person of God and who he is. Otherwise, you will be a wicked ruler and not a righteous ruler. You've got to then personally follow him and make decisions about self-leadership. Most of us, when we think of leading, we think of leading down. Very few of us think about leading up, but we need to also lead up or leading peers. But I'm going to tell you where I will spend the majority of my time, and that is in leading self. And most leaders fail, not because they're not good down leaders. Most leaders fail because they never learn to lead themselves. Uh, the most difficult guy for me to shepherd at Watermark Community Church is wearing a purple shirt this morning. His name is Todd Wagner. And he is a constant nuisance to me. And he is constantly taking my time, needing my rebuke, needing to be encouraged and taught. And I found out that if I can lead that guy, if I can discipline that guy, that leading others is a breeze because I can do it out of the integrity of my heart. I can do it uh, not out of some strategy, not having to hide and manage information, but just out of the, 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 the person of who I am. When I take care of my business, I find out that God takes care of his business. Most of us think about what do I got to do to get my kids to change? What do I got to do to get my spouse to change? What do I got to do to get my city to change? And I will tell you that the way to start a revival is today go out in your driveway, take a piece of chalk, put it right there by your toes, and just draw a little circle right around yourself. And say, I purpose to change everything inside this circle. And when you can start a revival inside that little circle, then you invite others to jump in the circle with you. But you've got to start by leading yourself. So how do you begin? Psalm 101 starts with this. I will sing of loving kindness and just. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. 
Now, why is that there? If you're around Watermark very often, one of the things you'll hear me say is the reason we get together on Sunday morning is not to pay some tax, not to uh, do what we think we need to do so God isn't ticked off at us. The reason we gather on Sunday morning is to remind ourselves who God is, that he is worthy to be praised, that he has our best interests in mind, that he loves us and delivered himself up for us. And if he would die for us, why wouldn't we think that he would do everything else for us that would have our best interests in mind? That's Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. I mean, look, if this is the story, that God created us, put us in a place of perfection, gave us everything that we need, told us what we, uh, what, what we should do in terms of, of uh, the strategy to find life and greatness, he said, the only thing you don't want to do is think you don't need me. Think that you can decide what is right and wrong on your own. Because even when you know right and wrong like I do, you're not going to be like me and always choose right over wrong. So we just spit in his face right away and said, you know what, I think we'll try and run it on our own way. Hell and chaos came to us. Consequence and judgment came to us. And so we would have thought, if, if we just heard this story about another group of people, that if you went ahead and executed those folks that had been given every provision, spit in the face of the one who gave them provision, if you just let them rot and die, that would have been just and appropriate. But that's not the story of the Scripture. The story of the Scripture is that God enters into that death and chaos... He himself takes the consequence and punishment of the people that rejected him so that they could be restored back into relationship with him if they will receive that gift of mercy. And then he can then train them again how to lead themselves so they can lead others so the glory can be restored to them. Now, if he would do that, if God would enter into that hell that we created, rescue us from it, and lead us back to life, if he would die himself to create that possibility, what makes you think he wouldn't do everything else for your best interest? And so we gather together on a regular basis to sing of this God, to remind ourselves he is filled with loving kindness, that justice is real. He didn't just wink at sin and say, ah, come on, back in. He dealt with sin, and if you don't accept his provision for sin, you will be his provision for sin one day. And that won't be pretty. But I want to remind myself continually that God is good. He is not here. Guys, I want to say this again. He is not just here to tell you what to do so that you don't got to get whacked. God loves you and wants greatness for you. He wants to restore the glory that our wickedness diminishes. The things that make your woman look at you and go, what is wrong with you? Why do I have to be near you? That makes your kids exasperated, disrespect, withdraw, and resent. God wants to deal with that in your life. And I'm going to tell you, I want to spend my life telling you that. Jesus is not just here for fire insurance. He has come that you might have life right now, today, and be his men. And to you, O Lord, I will remind myself continually and every guy around me, God's not looking to rip you off, he's looking to set you free. I have got to get the God question right. If I don't get the God question right, then Todd's going to reign and rule. I will enthrone myself, and it will not be pretty. So this is the first job of a king, is to know who the true and good king is, the ultimate servant leader. And to have... The, your right hero and a right understanding of who it is you should imitate and follow. Every great leader, right? We all know in 9-11, what did Rudy Giuliani do every night when he went back home in the midst of all that chaos? He went right to history and read the story of a leader in the midst of a country that was shaken to its core and how he dealt with 
the fear that was in that country. He would go over at night and he would pour over Winston Churchill books. Because he wanted a leader that had gone before him. You'll find leaders today that will go back to Lincoln, go back to Reagan, go back to Washington. And say, what can I learn from these men? And there's nothing wrong with those guys that I've mentioned. There's a lot you can learn from them. Especially when they imitated the one who you ought to always study. And I will sing of him every day to myself and to all that listen. Second thing a leader's got to do, once it determines who the right and great leader is, and guys, that is the biggest one. You've got to personally learn to follow him. You can't lead others until you can lead yourself. We all know stories of most great leaders, no matter how effective they were, most of them lost their position of leadership because they failed to continue to lead themselves. And so what David writes in this little psalm, he said, I will give heed. I will pay attention and focus on the blameless way. Not the way that seems right to David. And David had a great run until he forgot about the goodness of God, the rightness of God, and he did not give heed to the blameless way, and it cost him. And David said this, when will you come to me? Because, Lord, without you, I can't do this thing. You know, one of the things you'll find in Scripture is that great men weren't always the most competent men, but they were the men that knew where they could find competency and help. So Solomon, when he's getting ready to be king, and God said, what do you want, Solomon? I'll give you whatever you want to help and lead and reign over these people. Do you want a better military? Do you want uh, a more impressive harem? So other kings go, dude, you got it going on? Do you want more money so that you can give free bread and circuses? What do you want? Solomon said, I want wisdom. Because I am young and ignorant and don't know how to lead so great a people. I want to know what you would do. Don't make me go on my own and do this. Moses, when he was getting ready to live Israel out of, uh, out of the wilderness, or really out of bondage and into the promised land, while he's in the wilderness, he said, God, I don't want to go anywhere without you. This, by the way, guys, is spiritual leadership. Can I encourage you with something? I know a lot of you guys are intimidated by your wives because they, well, you go to work, go to Bible study fellowship and other studies, and they know more scripture than you, and you wonder if you can spiritually lead them. Spiritual leadership does not mean you can kick your wife's butt in Bible jeopardy. Our problem is not typically one of ignorance. Spiritual leadership means that what you're going to do is say, before I go anywhere, I want to know what God wants to do. What you need to do as a man is say, hey, look, what are we going to do with this money? What are we going to do with this discretionary time? What are we going to do with our kids? How are we going to handle this conflict? What are we going to do with this disobedience? Don't just wing it. But just say, I know this, if we try and figure this out on our own and don't avail ourselves to all the wisdom that God has given to me, and God's given to us, and here's the sad thing, I don't even know God well enough to know what he says yet, but let's find friends that do. Let's seek others who can spur us on and help us. Sweetie, have you read anything in Bible study fellowship lately? Has there been anything you've studied that would inform this situation? You ask your wife that, and it will bless their socks off. See, we think women want men who always know directions. And so we're afraid to ask anybody else or them. It's like we're driving along, right? And we don't know where we're going. And we try and impress our wife. We're going to figure it out on our own. Well, it's like we're afraid if we stop and ask another guy. And then another guy goes, oh, no problem. You just go up here, take a left. Your wife's going to go, finally, get out of the car, take her clothes off and sleep with that guy. And so we're afraid to ask another guy for help. No. You know what a woman wants? She wants to know that there's a guy who's secure enough that if he even has all the information to lead well in that moment, he's going to get the information. That's what a great man does. Including looking to the queen. And say, hey, sweetie, do you have any ideas on this one? 
I'm not giving you the throne. I'm just saying, look, I'm a good king. I'm going to lead from this throne by getting all the constant and good advice I can. And since you're in the kingdom with me, I want to know, what would you do? And what's God say we should do? And that's really what he says right there in verse 2, man. I am going to make sure that uh, God goes with us on this and that we have his leadership. When will you come to me? Right? It goes uh, on, we're talking about I will lead in the blameless way. I, uh, I will walk in the blameless way. One of the great ways to lead, guys, is when you're not afraid that folks may find something out. I shared with a group of guys I was with yesterday, and some of you guys have heard this before. I've been standing with my wife before, and I, I, I got the mail, and I opened up um, the mail, and it was a typed letter, and in the very middle of it, in all caps, it just said, we know what you have done. And I opened that thing up, and my wife is kind of like right over here, and I kind of read it. I go, hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you know. I, I hope they don't know what I, I wanted to do, things I've thought about doing. But I looked at it, I, I know what you have done. And, um, and we, we think we may know what it was about. We might be wrong. It doesn't really, know what, I, it doesn't really matter what it was. I've speculated before. But, but I, my wife goes, what's that? And I go, they know what I've done. And she goes, what? And, you know, and I handed it to her. I wasn't afraid there was going to be perfume on it. I wasn't afraid that the phone was about to ring and somebody said, let me tell you what he's done. Proverbs 10.9 says this. It says, he who walks in his integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his way will be found out. In other words, the king is not a charade. He's not going to be one of those guys that say, do what I say, not what I do kind of guys. Those leaders are never worth following. All right, I want to be, I want to be a guy that, that just say, hey, look, man, you know, go ahead, tell, tell them what I've done. You know, sometimes I've got guys who tell me what I've done. They point out to me the way I talked, the way I've led was um, insensitive with an improper tone, maybe even in moments of anger or insecurity or putting too much confidence in fleeting things and overreacting to it. And sometimes they tell me exactly what I've done. And what a good king done, does when he leads that way is he stops and he says, Hey, man, thank you. He didn't take off the head of those around him. He just says, hey, you know what? You're right. That was not God's best in that moment. And so there are times that folks need to come to me and say, Todd, let me, let me share with you what I perceive just happened there. But in terms of this overarching fear that I'm about to be exposed, because by the grace of God I've learned to fear him and walk with him, I walk securely. And if somebody wants to say, I'm going to tell you what your husband has done to my wife, I'm not scared the queen's going to run away. And that's a good way to live. Uh, verse 3, this is still about self-leadership. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. Now let me just talk about this right here. By the way, this, this is, uh, it shall not fasten its grip on me, is how that little verse ends in verse 3. One of the things that... Um, I did for a long time. I, I wrote down Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3, uh, where it talks about, even in verse 4, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart, right? And, and I just thought, I'm not going to live in my house differently than I want other people to live. And I took Psalm 101, uh, 2, 3, and 4, and I wrote them and taped them to my television set. And, you know, I just, okay, Mr. Wagner, it's fine to have that little psalm, but, but will you put worthless things before your eyes? And, and here's what I would say. I'm not just talking about the shows that we all know we shouldn't partake of. 
But think about where, what the etymology of the word worthless is. It's not that complicated. It's two words, worth and less. Because what I've found is, is as much a struggle porn is for me, or as much a struggle as shows that are suggestive, that make my heart drift after things that I shouldn't. And as a young guy, I was exposed to a ton of that. And, and the lie and the allure of that is still very real in its pull on me. And I've got to constantly wage war against that. And I don't make provision for it in my home. But, but it's not just that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's the good that gets in the way of the great, right? It's the stuff that's worth less than the other stuff. All right, so a little confession. I don't know if you're a baseball fan. I, I, I grew up playing baseball, enjoying baseball. Last night, I think, was probably the greatest night of baseball that I can remember in my lifetime. I don't know if you hung out, but it was probably the greatest night of baseball that I've ever seen. I mean, it was like... It was, I, just, I, just, I sent an email to ESPN, get busy making a 30 for 30 on 9-28-11, because you couldn't write that story of what happened. Game after game, extra inning, drama, home run, losing 7 to nothing, winning in extra innings, winning 3-2 to two with your top receiver, losing 4-3 to three in the night. I mean, it was just one game after another. It was just incredible drama. But at the end of the day, I want to tell you guys this. I spent probably about two hours in front of my TV, about an hour and a half with my sons, enjoying it and watching it. And then I finally fired them off the bed and I sat up and watched some more. And that's okay to do that every now and then, okay? But it was worth less than some other things that I could have done. And it's one thing to have appropriate moments of leisure. It's another thing to live for leisure. It's another thing that right now your entire week you know, has been increasingly getting aroused because you're getting closer and closer to kickoff for your blessed Longhorns, your blessed Cowboys, your blessed Sooners, your blessed Aggies. All right, there we go. All right? Or, or whatever it might be. If we live and put more heart in things that are worth less than eternal things, I, I look, First Timothy 4, 7, and 8. There, there was, uh, uh, Paul says this, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for women. Okay, look, you know what sports are? Sports are guys' soap operas. And last night was an incredible episode of As the Diamond Turns. It was the best episode that anybody's ever written. But I, I, and I lived for it. I couldn't believe what I saw. But it's, it's a worldly fable. I mean, it's fleeting. No one really is going to remember that day. Okay, maybe they make a 30 for 30 about it 30 years from now. Who gives a rip? At the end of the day, it's worth less than other things. On the other hand, it's what I should do. And again, I'm not saying guys shouldn't enjoy leisure. I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy sports. Just make sure you're enjoying sports and not living for it. Or take sports out. Put in anything else that's worth less than what God says. Your golf game, your handicap, enjoy it. But if you live to have a low handicap and be the club champ, if that's what you want to be about, that is worth less. And if you've got a low handicap and a high sin failure rate, you've got a real priority problem in your life. And you will never be an effective leader because you give yourself away to fleeting things fit only for women. On the other hand, though, if you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, you'll be in a good shape. For bodily discipline, okay, another thing, exercise. Hey, way to go. Good for you. Exercise. I try and do it. 
But if I spend more time on my physical body, which is going to die, no matter how much I beat it and buffet it, and do not develop that which is going to continue to grow, which is my inner man and my soul, I've got issues. Because I'm investing in that which is destined to die, as opposed to investing in that which is destined to increase. So bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. It's an old promise, not just in the present life, but also for the life to come. Let me just remind you, the reason we study the scriptures, not so when we meet God, we got to get a pass, but because right now it makes you the king you want to be. So everybody just walks around and goes, do you know how good it is to live in this land? Do you know how good it is to have this guy as king? That's what you want to hear. That's what God wants for you. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Real quickly, you businessmen, good to great. Jim Collins, probably the most successful business book written in the last you know, decade. Tremendous resource. I remember Jim Collins telling me sometime, he goes, this is the biggest problem I've seen with companies. It's not that they don't take on new initiatives that they need to take on. The problem with most great companies is they're constantly adding new initiatives. This entrepreneurial can-do spirit, which many of us have in Dallas, is never managed well. And most companies fail, not because they aren't starting the right new things, he said, watch this, but because they stop, they don't stop doing the things that they don't need to do anymore. He gave an example from his own personal life. He felt like he needed to grow. And so he made it a purpose to read 100 books a year. In other words, I'm going to add something new to my life. You guys are going to add, hopefully, the next 10 weeks, something new to your life. Jim Kyle said, I'm going to add something new to my life. A hundred new books a year. He bought a reading chair. He bought a new lamp. He got a room set up. He, got a, uh, he bought a hundred books. He did extensive research on what books he should read. He did all that stuff, but he said he found himself not reading more. And the problem was, I'll let you, you know, hear it from him. He said, I would get home after a long day. In my left hand, I had war and peace. In my right hand, I had a remote control. And faced with long passages about the burning of Moscow in 1812 or short quips on Monday Night Football, I always chose football. And I wasn't reading. And so I finally went to my wife and I said, look, we've got to get rid of some of these things that are worth less than other things. And so they got rid of the delivery system for Monday Night Football and all the other soap operas that men give their hearts to. He took the TV out of his house. And he read 100 books a year for a number of years. And that's why you know his name. Because it wasn't just what he added, it was what he pulled back. He said, I'm not going to put worth less things before me. I'm going to give my heart to things which make a man great. Not little ice cream cones that taste good for a moment. But I'm going to discipline myself to be great. And that's why Jim Collins went from just a good college professor to one of the greatest business leaders our country has ever known. It's what's going to separate men in this room. You're going to go from a good little churchman to a great leader and discipler of men. But it ain't going to happen because you want it. It's going to happen because you do it. Proverbs 13.4 says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. I'll tell you the second part of that proverb. Listen to me. The soul of the sluggard craves. He wants to be great, but he never becomes great. Second part of Proverbs 13, 4. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. You get that? 
Great men discipline themselves for great things. It doesn't happen because you want it. Right? We all want to be in shape. Very few of us want to work out. We all want to know, we should know, what God would want us to do in a moment. But how many of us are spending time with God? We're putting more money in our wallets than we are truth in our souls. And the money is worth less. How about this? When you look at Psalm 101, we pick it up right there in verse, uh, verse 4. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. I'm not going to entertain, seek out, or have personal intimacy with evil. It doesn't look at evil's all around us, guys, but I'm not going to know evil. I'm not going to be intimately acquainted with it. I'm not going to have a personal relationship with it. Are there going to be moments when you fail? Yes. Are there going to be moments when evil makes its way into your world? Yes. But you're not going to, you're not going to be intimate with it. You're going to be an individual, if you're a godly king, where you're not going to seek out that which will destroy your heart. And it's amazing to me how many guys I know, not only are they not seeking good, they wonder why their life isn't improving, but there is no filter on their heart. They invite it in. We go and lay down good money to watch somebody put propaganda for adulterous relationships into our mind. Or who will train us to love other things. And I'm telling you, that's a mistake, O king. Because it is a fact, all right, that bad company corrupts good morals. Now look, what happens once you become a guy that leads yourself, you've got to be wise about this. This is one of the things that we love about Summit. You get to call other men in your life and say, I'll tell you who's going to run with me. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That's a different, he, 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 he was not a companion of sinners. Let me say that again. Jesus was a friend of sinners. What's a friend do? A friend loves at all times, speaks the truth in love, and calls them to know the loving kindness and justice of God. He faithfully wounds. He serves and leads. That's what a friend does. A companion is somebody you lock arms with and say, I'm going to do business and life with you. Jesus was never a companion of sinners. This is what a king says he's going to do. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look or an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes will be, it says, upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. Who are the guys that I'm going to run with, that aren't going to speak about other guys, that are going to make me feel good about myself because other guys are idiots? They're going to be prideful, haughty guys who don't think they need God. No. Who are the faithful guys that are going to run with me? He who walks in a blameless way, that's the one, the psalmist says, that will minister to me. So I had my kids memorize this. A, why? Because I want you when you go someplace else and a friend says, let's watch this movie. I'm not going to be there. What are you going to put before your little heart, O king? Secondly, when you're at a friend's house and they start to slander other friends and talk back about them, how are you going to roll with that? I tell my kids all the time, you can be sure of this. People that talk about other people in your presence talk about you in other people's presence. And I'm just in the business saying, hey, look, I'm not saying every king's perfect, but if you're going to tell me that king's not doing a good job, I'm going to drive you to that king because that king could maybe improve if you're a faithful friend to him. Are you a companion? I'm going to show you a quick video. It's kind of fun. And, uh, and this is the way most men roll in terms of their relationship. They have superficial relationships that don't really drive us towards greatness. One of the reasons I love Summit is it's a chance, guys, and I want to challenge especially the leaders in here to lovingly yoke together and say, my job these next 10 weeks, I'm going to be a part of your cabinet for at least 10 weeks. 
And that's to make you a better king. And we're not going to just go through superficial niceties and state dinners. I'm going to really help you be a great king. And here's the thing, guys. We don't want you to be in a superficial group. And that's just where we kind of all default, right? Because it's easy for a while. Until the kingdom starts to, you know, insurrect underneath you. And the poles get out and they despise you and they don't respect you. And as a king, that's all you really want. Kings need cabinets. Kings that isolate themselves will not be the kind of kings that queens rejoice, that constituents are glad for, and that you, when you look in the mirror, are glad that you're that guy. And so you've got to be a guy that has to be an individual that says, I've got to know who God is, I've got to follow him personally, and I've got to get myself around other men that will seek him diligently with me. And then when you do those three things, guess what you can then do? You can be vigilant every day against evil. That's where this goes. In verse 8, it says, Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land. In other words, there's a relentless return of opportunity to give yourself away and to be seduced by wicked things. And every morning you've got to wake up and say, I'm going to get after it again today and attack worthless things. I'm going to bring good where there is evil, light where there is darkness. But you can only do that if you yourself are committed to light and you're surrounded by other guys who are going to remind you and encourage you in the midst of evil, especially when you're in a position of of, um, authority and you have uh, enough resource to enjoy things that can compromise a king, men that will remind you and encourage you about what is great so that you can cut off from the city of the Lord in this little psalm. All those who do iniquity. That's what we want to help you with. I, I told the king of Burundi, or the president of Burundi, well, that's going to be my prayer for you, that you will remember the goodness of God, that he is the source of all righteousness and truth, that he is the truly just one, and you're going to give an account for him for your leadership. Can I tell you, you meant something? He is no different than you. You're going to give an account for your kingship. And there's either going to be people that hide underneath you and can't wait to escape your rule, or they're going to run to you and call you blessed. They're going to delight in being a part of your harem, enjoy you in the coolness of the day, or they're going to be raped just like any other woman in a king's harem who's abusive is. And it's going to be platonic and serviceable, and no one likes that. And so, guys, God has your interests in mind. You've got to know the goodness of God. Follow him personally. Surround yourself with others that are faithful like that. And then take on evil every day. That's what we hope to help you with these next ten weeks. That's what we hope to help you with anytime you're running with us here at Watermark. We don't want you to come to Watermark. We want you to run with Jesus. Because he's the great king. He wants to conform you into the image of himself. And he wants others to speak well of God because they know you and follow you. If you want some of that, come on. If you're here today and you don't know that great king, we'd love to tell you about his loving kindness. I mentioned at the beginning that in the middle of the chaos that is the world that you lead, he enters in, pays the debt for it, and wants to lead you out. It starts with you understanding you haven't led well, and then it starts with telling others you haven't led well, and it starts by depending upon the one who wants to lead you to righteousness and freedom. His name is Jesus, and he's the great servant leader, and he is filled with glory and truth. And I'd love to share more about him or the guy that invites you to tell you how you can know him personally. The question is, will you follow him? I'm going to. 
And I can't wait to do it on Thursday mornings with guys. I love to do it every day with guys. I've got a cabinet. And we want to help you get one. I want to seek this guy with all my heart and be a blessing to my family. Amen? Father, I pray for these men that as they head off into the day, that they would walk as humble men, that they would understand that whatever position or privilege you have given them, it is to be a servant of others and not to increase their own fame. Let you give us what you give us so that we might, Father, uh, be a source of glory to you in the way that we live our lives, the way that you live in the context of your person. When you came, you did not come to be served, but to serve and give yourself as a ransom for many. And we thank you that in Christ we have an example for all things. I pray that we would be suffering servants. I pray that we would be disciplined men. I pray we'd be of sober spirit. I pray that we would seek intimacy with the Father. Speak up for the oppressed. Speak out against injustice. Declare truth. Create opportunities for others to be reconciled to you. Multiply blessing. Bring healing. Raise men from the deadness of worthless things. You have told us if we yoke ourselves with you, greater things than you have done, we will do. And Father, we thank you that we're seeing that. That uh, because your spirit indwells each of us who knows you. Jesus doesn't just go to one office this morning. He's going to go to a thousand. The question is, will we let you reign in the hearts that have invited you in? So those of us that know you, we say, would Christ show up in our life in the way we drive now in traffic, the way we call our wives, lead our children, study your word, serve people at work, deploy the resources we get from the work that you've given us to do. May Christ reign in that. And may it be a greater work than if he were just here himself, gone one place this morning. What a great miracle. What a great opportunity. Help us to seek you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, O kings. If you want a cabinet, get on out there, sign up. Otherwise, go rule well. We'll see you.